Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's the report, old report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The college football playoff is set and bowl season is upon us. Nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. We have our first in-season champion crowned in the National Basketball Association and some exciting off-season moves in Major League Baseball, although the checks won't be coming every two weeks for one of said players. We'll get into all that, at least try to, in this week's show. These smaller checks. Smaller checks than what was once expected. Shohei Otani and the Los Angeles Dodgers doing some math. Doing some math and for the largest deal that we've ever seen in baseball history. Now, last week, I was a little under the weather. You were at a Christmas party, so we weren't able to do the show. And we weren't able to, at least for me, yell about what happened with the selection process of the four teams for this year's college football playoff, which are Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama. One through four sent shockwaves through college football, through most fandoms, whether or not the decision to go with Texas and Alabama, Alabama more so, over an undefeated Florida State team out of the ACC was the right decision. Whether the committee should be looking at who are the four best teams versus who are the four most deserving teams. I will give you the floor to open what your thoughts were on the decision of the four and how we're now looking, now that the dust has settled, at the two semifinal games that will decide a national champion in several weeks' time. Well, first of all, it's great to have you back. I had a blast at my uh, office party, and uh, you were under the weather, so at least one of us had a great night. Uh, regardless of the fact that we went together last week, we're back for all our friends, all our fans, all our foes. And we'll touch on this before we get to uh, the leagues where they play for pay. Look, everybody uh, had an opinion. Some were screaming bloody murder. Some thought they were the right selections. Again, we've gone back and forth on best team, most deserving. First of all, in terms of best team and for whatever it's worth, my opinion, the best team in the country is still you know, is Georgia. They lost one game by a field goal, right. uh, a missed field goal hit an upright. Were they the better team against Alabama? Absolutely not. Alabama got the benefit of a non-replay at the end of the first half, which according to the great Gene Steratore should have been reviewed, was not. They were asleep at the switch in the booth. 
would have been in complete in all probability. And I know ifs and buts are candies and nuts. We'd all have a Merry Christmas. However, if that's incomplete, instead of 17-7 at half, Georgia's got the ball at their own 40-ish yard line. Worst case scenario, 10-7 Alabama. Who knows? Maybe tied. Maybe Georgia goes in 14-7. But the bottom line is that was a big mistake. Regardless, Alabama was the better team. They held off Georgia, and that created the problem. Alabama spoiled the party and made it incredibly difficult for the committee. Why? Because Alabama beats number one Georgia, and now you've got the dilemma of Alabama and Texas because Texas did what we thought they would do. We got one right. Texas annihilated their opponent, Oklahoma State, in your conference championship game. So what's the bottom line? Alabama beats the number one team in the country, and if you're going to put them in, they drag Texas with them because Texas beat Alabama. So Alabama basically you know, brings themselves and Texas in and knocks out a very deserving Georgia and a very deserving Florida State team because they don't have their quarterback. Florida State's problem, one, they looked abysmal on offense with a third-string quarterback. Florida State needed to show the committee, you need a reason to take us. And they didn't. They played great defensively against a Louisville quarterback who looked like me out there. The play of the Louisville quarterback in the ACC championship game for a veteran college player looked as bad as I've ever seen a player play. He wasn't a freshman redshirt sophomore during the headlights. This was an experienced quarterback who looked like he had no interest in playing that game. And I'm sure he did, but he was beyond hideous. He was awful. And the Florida State defense played really well. But the problem is the committee did not have a very good opportunity to see them with a number two quarterback. They just saw them against Florida when the number two quarterback got hurt with a concussion, and obviously he didn't play in this game. They didn't look very good offensively against Florida, so they're afraid. If we put them in and send them out there with a second-string quarterback to play number one Michigan, and I do it over Alabama and Texas, we're going to look like idiots. They're going to make us look like fools. They took the safe route. They took the safe route. Now, the one saving grace they had, is they could defend themselves by how bad Florida State looked offensively with the third-string quarterback. Their real dilemma, which would have put them behind the eight ball, in between a rock and a hard place, as everyone likes to say, had Florida State won that game 24 to nothing, 27 to 7, and at least looked mediocre, then they're really in trouble because now they've got to take the three teams and say, what the hell do we do? All right. Well, Alabama has got to go because they beat number one and they're playing great. Well, now what do I do with Texas? Because they beat Alabama and look at Florida state. They're undefeated major conference undefeated team has never not made the tournament. And we know they don't have this first string quarterback and won't, but they're going to have the second string guy back. And they were pretty good against 
you know, Louisville. Not great, but the, you know, they won 27-7, they won 31-7, they won you know, 24 to nothing, but they didn't. That would have been even more interesting because then what would they have done? And if they take Florida State, who do they shut out? That would have been the most interesting saga of all. What would they have done then? And I've heard different viewpoints. I believe Greg McElroy said that they would have taken Florida State. And Florida State played really well. Uh, he was surprised that they didn't. He thought they made the right decision. And I love McElroy. He's very honest. Yes, he's a Bell, Alabama you know, national championship quarterback. So, of course, he's a homer. But the point is, even he said he thought the way things panned out that they were going to take Florida State. And they did not. And you know, it, it's a problem because for the first time, you know, we had five teams, uh, actually six for four spots. Uh, the team that got screwed the worst was probably Georgia because Georgia's number one all year, you know, going for the third consecutive national title, undefeated for two years. And there was a tight game in the SEC title game, and they dropped from one to six. What you want to ask the committee is, you know, how did you – you're telling me that, you know, Florida State's better than Georgia? Is that what you're telling me? You have Florida State ahead of them. You're telling me you can't put them in the tournament. You dropped them to fifth, but you're telling me they're better than the best team, the team who's the best team in the country all year? Is that what you're telling me? You're telling me they can't play with these other teams. So you're putting them fifth, but you're putting them ahead of Georgia? Explain that to me. And so now they'll play Georgia, uh, you know, in their bowl game to see if they can compete. But, and, and remember, this is also a Georgia team whose two best receivers were hobbled in that game. You know, injuries play a part. But I think they also, you can also argue they played a part in, in the Alabama loss. But the point is, even though it was a tough goal for the committee, it could have been much tougher had Florida State really taken care of business and made it difficult for the committee to say, you can't possibly keep us out. Look what we did in our title game with a third-string quarterback. You know, we took care of business. We've done nothing wrong. We're undefeated, and we went in there and kicked ass. We didn't have a second-string quarterback. We didn't have a third-string quarterback. Don't tell us we can't play with any of these guys. And had they done that, I would have loved to have seen what the committee would have done. Had they chosen Florida State, what the hell would they have done between Georgia and Texas? And I have no idea because you're damned if you do, or excuse me, Alabama and Texas, because you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. You take Alabama because they're playing great and look like they could be, maybe, might be. So many people think they are the best team in the country, despite the fact that they were awful against Auburn and won on a miracle, an absolute miracle. But they beat the number one team in the country. And they've only got one loss. Oops. To Texas in our building early in the season in which they were clearly outplayed. Yes, Jalen Miller was a young quarterback. Yes, they're better now. But you know, everybody's better now. So I, I'm not buying into second week in the season. Doesn't mean as much. They all matter. They all got to count. So I would have loved to have seen what the committee would have done had Florida State won that game more convincingly and looked better doing it. I said, I have no idea, but it would have been even more of a conundrum for them had that come to pass. And I think pretty much everybody will agree in terms of 
if we take Georgia out of the mix, which you really don't want to do, but you have to because Michigan's undefeated. Washington, shockingly, another bad pick by me, didn't just beat Oregon. They thoroughly outplayed Oregon, even though it was a close game. You got way up early. Oregon was not ready to play. They were prepared. Uh, came back and took the lead. Then Washington beat him, beat him twice, undefeated. Uh, got to take them because they're healthy, like Florida State. So you got to take them. Got to take Texas. Got Alabama. So, you know, you got you have the safest route to two quality games, presuming that Michigan can play with these guys after really an abysmal showing offensively against Iowa. And who knows? Because they've shown in the past they can't, they can't get past the semis. Um, but you really didn't have uh, much of an option for who the four best teams were because of the way Florida State played and the fact that Georgia lost and everybody else won. So they took what they thought, I presume, are the four best teams at the time, all of whom won, and you know, two of whom were undefeated, and the other two won their conference championships and you know, have one loss to each other to the other, and one loss against a pretty good Oklahoma team. Problem with Texas, you know, is Oklahoma, you know, lost that second game. It would have been nice if you saw Oklahoma and Texas play in the Big 12 title game. But the problem is, you know, Texas beats Alabama, Alabama beats Georgia, Alabama drags them in. Georgia outside looking in, Florida State outside looking in. Again, Eliminating Alabama or eliminating Georgia, we have the, probably have the four best teams in the country, and you got to eliminate Georgia because they lost, which sucks. Because I think Georgia's better than probably everybody, certainly better than Washington. But Washington undefeated, got to go. So I think we're where we probably have to be because of circumstances which sucked for Florida State and turned out to basically suck for Georgia. My thought process for the college football playoff has always been that the games have to matter on the field. The games will decide how this all plays out. And based on the games on the field from this past season, I thought it was pretty simple that the four teams, once the dust had settled, would have been Michigan, Washington, Texas, Florida State. I could even accept if the committee decided to keep in Georgia and leave out Texas because Georgia just lost in their championship game, and that was it. Two hobbled wide receivers. You want to talk about how injuries matter. Would have been okay with either of those things. I was shocked when Alabama got in. It was shocking to see Texas at three. And then once that happened, the writing was on the wall. I'm incredibly disappointed for Florida State and for what the committee turned the process into this year. 
why this precedent was set this year, this time, especially with it being the last for four teams when we move to 12 next year. Whoever in the room thought they were smart enough to stand up and say, this year, it'll be the four best, and we'll pick them like that. It's all objective. Who knows who the four best are? The only one that does, if we were to pick something in the world that can know the top four best teams, is Vegas. So unless you want the bookmakers to schedule the college football playoff and rank all the teams and pick all the games because they set the odds and they set the precedent, a group of people in one room who have only watched college football on a Saturday, straight through. For your example, how wrong they can be. They, they're the ones who had Oregon as a 10-point favorite. Now, I agreed. I watched a lot of Oregon. I watched a lot of Washington. I watched the first game. I thought Oregon would beat them by two touchdowns. The same way everybody in that room probably thinks that any one of those three teams excuse me, four teams, will be Florida State by two touchdowns. But you got to play the games on the field. So it doesn't matter, you know, I I don't like the scenario of who's going to beat who. Who do you think is going to win that game in judging who's best? Because that's just opinion. Right. That's just opinion. And we've seen already many times that you think one team's going to win than the Monto Hill of Beans. Now, if you think they're better, just leave it at that. Just leave it at that. You know, right now, we think they're the better team. Period. Don't start with, you know, well, who would you not want to play? Who do you think? Yeah, how about that one? If you're a former coach, who would you not want to play right now? What the fuck kind of question is that? Where's that on the bulleted list of how we're deciding these teams? Who are these people to think they're worthy to decide who the better teams are in college football when they barely follow it? As I yelled at you last show, the athletic director of the United States Naval Academy is not watching 12 hours of college football every week. And I'm glad he's not. Because he has more responsibilities at that school and for our country than sitting through a Pac-12 after dark game in week eight. But he knows who the best teams are in the country. Vegas thought Georgia was going to beat Alabama by three points in the SEC championship game. How'd that go? The the better question I have for that is what is he doing on that committee? What are they all doing on the committee? We don't know who any of these people are. It, it, we don't it, see them. We don't hear from it, them. And the they're deciding the college football playoff. If the athletic director of the Naval Academy is on the committee who has more important things to do than watch college football, what's he doing on the committee? How do we not know who these people are? They send out poor Boo Corrigan or whomever else gets to be the person that comes out on Thursdays, Tuesdays and makes sense of what was just said in these rooms. And then he's the bearer of bad news on Sunday and has to answer for all the questions. He's speaking for all of them. We don't know who they are. 
Look, at he's the chairman. That's his job. The we pilot. should know have, who these people are, this, and they should be. We, we should be we able to rattle their names fight. off like presidents of the United States. We had this discussion two weeks ago, and what I don't understand from your point is, when you say they're not watching, well, why? Aren't, do you know they're not watching? Yeah, watching? there's no way they're watching. I'm a hundred percent certain of that. It's their job to watch. They watch it's that Saturday. Of, it's That's part it. of their job description to watch college football as a member of these committees. Correct. Do you think that they do? There's no chance. Saturday is the most attention they've paid to college football all season. And they're deciding who gets into this championship. It doesn't make any sense. Just like their decision to go with this year, it's the four best teams. Well, where's that been the past 10 years, Al? Because it has not been the four best teams. You may remember Nick Saban going on national television and saying, if we played X team on a neutral field, Vegas would favor us to win that football game. We should get in the college football playoff. And they did not. Same could have been said this year. He could have had the same exact argument. If we get in, we feel like we could beat Michigan. Understood, but they have a great argument when you beat the number one team in the country. But if you're going by best teams, as you mentioned, where's Georgia in the top four? If you're going to say Florida State can't get in, they're not a better team than Alabama. Well, Florida State without Jordan Travis, I don't think it's better than Georgia. I don't think it's better than Ohio State. I don't think it's better than Oregon. Why don't you just put them at nine? If that's your criteria now, we're going by the best, who we think would win, okay. Well, let's see what Vegas would have to say in that instance. Them doing this before we move to 12 and people saying, like, for starters, that, well, if the alliance never happened, this would be 12 this year and Florida you, State wouldn't have anything to worry about. are involved with a major conference. Correct. The SEC is the majorest of major college football conferences. Correct. Do you think that they were going to keep in the final year of a four team tournament of a final four, a once beaten SEC champion who just beat the number one team in the country who hadn't lost for two years? Did you think they would? Now, don't get me wrong. If it was Tennessee, if it was Ole Miss, if it was Mississippi State, if it was Missouri, they probably would have found a way to keep them out. But you in your right mind think that SEC champion, the big daddy, Alabama, beats number one, has only one loss to Texas, and they're not going? Not happening. It's not happening. I'm not saying... It was the right thing. It was the inevitable thing. And in terms of choosing the four best teams right now, I don't think you can make an argument against them being one of the four best teams in the country right now. And they were pretty damn good all year. Did they get lucky against Auburn? Absolutely. Did Florida State get incredibly lucky against Clemson with a missed, what, 25-yard field goal? Did Texas get incredibly lucky against Kansas State 
when they play their backup quarterback and the and the Kansas State coach just you know like the Oregon coach you know pissed the game away. They got to quit now. They're playing with the backup quarterback, but they still got very lucky and won a game they probably shouldn't have won. But Auburn is, excuse me, Alabama is not going to win the SEC championship game against a two-year unbeaten number one team and not go. It's not like Alabama had two losses or three losses or vaulted from 10 to one. Remember, many, 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 many moons ago when Miami beat the unbeatable, undefeated number one Nebraska Cornhuskers when uh, Tom Osborne decided to go for two before there was overtime and missed a two-point conversion. They lost by a point. Miami was number six in the country. By beating number one, they fought, and there were, there were no playoffs. It's just you know, AP, UPI, coaches, etc. The polls. That's all there was. And they vaulted everybody by, now they had a couple losses in front of them, but by beating number one, they vaulted from six to one. And their one loss early in the season, they had smoked. Remember, serves me correct, I believe, by Florida. Uh, you can double check me on that. Uh, but that was Bernie Kosar's team. And they jumped all the way from six to one by beating number one. And they beat number one when number one decided not to go for a two-point conversion. Or to go for a two-point conversion for the win versus one-point conversion for the tie, which would have resulted in winning the national title. But we're not getting the two-point conversion and losing by a point. Granted, in a game where they were dominated and behind the whole game, but rallied like champions do to what should have been or could have been or would have been a tie. But Tom Osborne went for two, uh, and everybody admired him for it. When Turner Gill threw it behind his wife, his, his receiver, uh, I believe Jeff Turner, who had scored the tying touchdown on fourth down. And they wind up with a one-point loss, and they're not national champions when all they had to do was kick the extra point. And Miami vaults all the way to number one for number six. So I know there was no playoff, but we've seen the jump before. Now, everybody in front of Miami didn't win. Here, everybody in front of Alabama, with the exception of Oregon, won. So it was quite a jump, but uh, they didn't jump to number one either. They jumped to number four. So I don't have a big problem with the jump, and I did not want Alabama to make it. But I can't sit here and argue that Alabama is not one of the four best teams in the country. I think they're better than Washington. I think they're probably going to win the national championship. But I they still might. think it's shameful by the committee to have them in the playoff. And that's not the first time that that sentence has been said. X team could have won the championship this year. Surely they, surely they could. But the games decide the fates. And the committee decided this year that's not the case. And I just think it's opening up a Pandora's box for them moving forward with 12 teams. Everybody says, oh, this will never happen again. It'll be easy next time. The five power fives and it's the champions. And then we'll just decide. We know the other that's one. not, it's we gonna know be, that's not um, the case. There's going to be headaches. The NCAA basketball tournament before it was 68, when it was 64, and before they had 48, 32, you, know, you had arguments left and right, screaming bloody murder. It was a blast. We had them every year. You know, when the 49th team and the 65th team and the 66th and the 67th and the 68th, the on-the-bubble teams that passed the next, the last, you know, the last four and the next last four, you know, are all screaming bloody murder. This pish-posh attitude, like, well, 
we'll never have something dirty like this again or have a well, close so clock of crap. Get out of here with that. No, that's bullshit. The only thing that will be easy is this team won their conference championship, so they've made it. I mean, they already fucked around and to look at my, the my, my package, my my expansion was six. Six would have been grand. My expansion was six. You know why, Al? Because there were five power conferences, and then you one and two one get more one team. and two get buys. All right, three plays six, four plays five, and then we go. Forget about trying six, though. Let's go straight to twelve. Let's triple this and go yeah. to twelve. I'm sure it'll be fine. We just dismantled a conference because of idiots, so that five-team champion thing can't even work now until they figure that out as well. But it'll be fine. Greg Sankey salivating over all the SEC teams now that are going to get in to this college football playoff. Big Ten salivating over this 12-team college football playoff. And, 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 and the Pac-12 is no more. And it's a shame. Idiots dismantled it. It's a shame. The arguments we should have been having for this year's college football playoff were, did they get Michigan right as the number one team? Because if you're going by best, that's a discussion to have with them in Washington. Why is Oklahoma not in a New Year's Six Bowl? And then, of course, the discussion would be, what happened with Alabama? Or what happened with Texas? Why was Georgia in? Why was Alabama out? Why was Florida State in? Why was Georgia in as well? Instead, we got Bedlam. And people said, it's fine, because now we'll get two competitive games. Okay. Will we, though? Well, we hope so. If Alabama beats Michigan by 35. I hope not. What difference is that going to make than it would have been Florida State? Like You you can't think that far ahead and tell people in a room that, oh, you know this will happen. Well, I don't. I wouldn't want to play Alabama right now, so we should put them in. You're just an idiot to think you know the best, and especially the people in that room to think they know the best. Because the people that cover college football 24-7, 365, do not know who the best is. No one knows the best until the games are played. It's a shame. And this isn't the last time there's going to be outrage, despite what people think. Once 12 comes along, that's going to fix all of our problems. There won't be this kind of outrage. We'll see. Because uh, obviously we will not have any undefeated conference champions left out. We will have a two-loss team, you know, who supposedly played it, you know, had a better strength of schedule, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Did everything they needed to do, played non-conference games, traveled, etc., and beat this no, no, beat this top seed, you know, best quality. You know, the same, the same arguments we have for the NCAA basketball tournament on a smaller scale. Of course, we'll have arguments between ten to, to sixteen, ten to eighteen. Absolutely. And what's in place if it happens? Just like for this year, nothing. They just hope that it would never happen. And for the last time, it actually did. The room was set on fire, and they were cowards. Now, we got that out of our system. See, if I didn't have a voice for that, it wouldn't have been as good. Well-heeled and in full voice, even though we don't wholeheartedly agree on the final outcome. 
any interest currently in what's happening over in the National Football League because many of the games, as we have not argued but discussed for the entire season, have been a multitude of garbage, to put it nicely, trash. There are some exciting ones here and there, probably about two each week. That might be a little bit too generous, two. But if you're looking at standings and you don't want to concern yourself with the games, understandably so, look whose team has 10 wins. Look whose team is tied with three other teams with 10 wins in the National Football League. The Baltimore Ravens. Oh, clearly Finally the won. best team in the AFC, it looks like. Finally won one late. Wow. In a thriller against the Rams. Another which... stupid Harbaugh decision trying to call a challenge when he didn't have to and cost the team a timeout. I was ready to text you. Here we go again. Times, however many times this has happened. Uh, but they, uh, their defense did not play well. Their defense got stops finally when necessary. And, uh, you know, big, big play in special teams. And uh, they finally won one of those games. Because as we've discussed that in Finitum, the three they've lost, they all either could have or should have won. And this one, their defense gave up the last drive for the tying field goal. And, uh, and then they win it in overtime with a punt return. So a thrilling win. They have a brutal schedule the rest of the way, but so does Miami and the Kansas city loss and the Jags loss who they play this week helped them immensely. So they do have a legit chance despite that strength of schedule uh, to be the number one seed. It's in front of them. Uh, They've got Jacksonville. They've got Miami. They've got the 49ers on Christmas night. So tough road to hoe. Uh, but Miami's got a very different, difficult schedule. Uh, and if they can beat Miami, that would give them a tiebreaker against Miami. Jacksonville has a difficult schedule uh, because they got the Jaguar, or they got uh, the Ravens this weekend, uh, and they're two games behind the Ravens. Um, so if the Ravens win that one, they've got the tiebreaker. And then, of course, you have the Kansas City Chiefs. Let me ask you, since we did not speak uh, after the missed interference call, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we spoke after that, did we? Was our show before, our last show before, after the missed interference call against Green Bay? I don't think, I think we, we discussed we, it. Okay. Um, but remember, they had the missed interference call, which had them very frustrated. But classy after the game, they did get the benefit of the, of the bad personal foul call against Mahomes when he was hit inbounds. And we've seen Kansas City get a number of calls go in their favor the last few years. But they get the offensive offsides called against them, proper call, lined up offsides, and then they cry like babies, at least in my opinion, because it nullified a play which no one ever thought was going to happen. All they talked about was the results of the play and Travis Kelsey's lateral, which I quite frankly have never seen unless it was you know, some last minute or trick play. It was just something he made up a la Reggie Bush against Texas uh, in the national title game, which probably cost them the game. This time it worked, but it, it's not like you know, that was a planned play 
and the official said, you know, I'm going to call it now. Like, like he knows that I, they're making it sound like you're on, on a play like that. You call it there. He called it at the snap. He has no idea what's going to happen. And then I'm listening to the great Mike Florio on with our fearless leader, Christopher Mad Dog Russo today saying, you know, we need to help the players out and we need to use more technology. They've got the, 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 the laser and the, wait a second, Mike, first of all, I love you. That's number one. Number two, you know, the technology for, you know, the first down, but we don't need chains. For, the chains are not the problem with measuring for first downs. The chains don't cause a problem. The length of the change, the chains don't change. It's where you mark it. That's what the first down is all about. It's where the official marks the ball. So you don't need laser technology for that. Hey, we have to help them. The blue line on the field, know where the first down. Well, I, I don't want, what about knowing where the sticks are? What about quarterbacks are always talking about receivers have to know where the sticks are? How much more help do you want to give these guys? You know, in other sports, we give the, the, the officials, give them, what help do we give them? What, what am I missing here? You know, I refed basketball and I, I didn't, you know, I, I refed college kids. I refed, uh, you know, NCAA football players, college intramurals. I refed camps. You know, do, you th- do you think at, at the level of high school or college or you know, NBA officials, you know, tell the players, hey, here's the line. When you inbound the ball, don't step on that line. Don't get too close to that line. Nobody ever warns you of that. Here's what you get. Can I run? Can I run? Yes, you can. It's after a basket. No, you can't. It's just a dead ball timeout. You know, off of a turnover, or the only time you can run is after a made basket. That's what you can answer. You know, or move back, gotta give them, gotta give them space. You, you don't tell them, oh, by the way, you know, when you're in the ball, you can't step on that line, son. When you're dribbling the ball, they tell you, you know, don't step on the line. You know, stay in bounds. Uh, you get ready to take your free throw? Make sure you don't step on the line before you shoot it. What, what are you talking about? Well, Mike? aren't you as an official, Al, if you see that, just don't say anything? Let's let it go. If he makes good, it, good. you know, if it's a good pass good, coming good, out of bounds. Guys, you've been playing football his whole life. You have a press box full of coaches up there. If he's been doing, your floor says, well, if he's been doing it the whole game, and now you call it, well, he's been doing it the whole game. Why haven't your coaches upstairs, in which you've got 72 of them, on monitors and super secret headphones where they're calling down to have challenge flags thrown. If a guy bobbles a ball for a millisecond and a hundredth of an inch of the toe, of, of the point of the ball may have grazed the ground to throw a red challenge flag, no one notices your guys offsides. Lining up off sides, the bulk of the game. I don't want to hear it. Okay, that's bullshit. Don't give me this routine of like, you know, we have to help them. Help them. Why don't you just put the ball on the 10 fucking yard line for the offense? I mean, it's ridiculous. We, 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 all we do is help the offense. Third and 25, you know, sack, interception, fumble, incomplete on the other side of the field. There's a flag. And, and, and it was still 10 seconds after the play was over because you you breathed on a guy on the other side of the field that the quarterback was never looking at. Five-year penalty, automatic first touch. You know, maybe if you didn't, like, push him in the shoulder six yards down the field, the quarterback would have looked over there and seen that, you know, he was wide open. So instead of having my eyes all the way on the other side or being sacked, I would have thrown the ball to him. You know, enough. 
how much more benefits are you going to give me offense? I mean, Florida's got to be kidding me. You know, tell them where the line, you know, go up to, what are you talking about? They need help? Come on, man. It's not your job to tell them what to do. It's not your job to tell them whether or not they're, they're onsides or offsides. If they ask, it's a different story. The fame, you know, wide receiver headlines, am I okay? Am I okay? Right. Good. No. It was as offside as offsides could be. He's played his day. And he never checked. Of course you've got to call it. You know, the, you, you don't know you can have a completion with a goofy lateral for a touchdown to put them ahead. And so Mahomes cries like a baby, throws his helmet. You know, his coach has got to defend him. You know, and, and they got to go up to the referees. And yes, the referees at times are incompetent, but that was not an example of it. The Kansas City offense stunk again. And they played like shit the last half of the season. So, you know, don't blame it on the officials. I can understand the frustration in that moment just because, as you said, the wide receivers and the passing game and the offense has been so bad where you can't have anything go wrong. And a miracle play like that, potentially, there's still some time on the clock, people forget about that, could have won you the game. You're at the point where you're not good enough to where you need the ball to literally bounce your way for everything. And when it didn't, I can understand the frustration the past several weeks coming out. But after the game, to keep it up, first to Josh Allen, like he gives a shit about it. Worst motherfucking call I've ever seen. All he wanted to do was say, hey, man, good game. Maybe we'll see you in the postseason. He's bitching to him about it after the game. And then totally the post game at the podium over totally, and over again. What are you totally, doing, man? Totally Bush League. Did they forget yeah, what happened yeah. now last year in two playoff games, how those games were decided? To- totally Bush yapping to Josh Allen about it. Did they forget a roughing the passer penalty that was called against Patrick Mahomes that led to a field goal in the postseason? Did they forget about in the Super Bowl when a hold was called that led to a score and won them the Super Bowl? Of course they did. Just amnesia for two incredibly important moments that led to a Super Bowl championship. Forget about those. We can't call this one, though, nor should we have called the penalty against D. Ford in another postseason game that changed that outcome because it was the Chiefs that did it. Can't be calling those. The other ones are okay, though. I'm sure the Eagles are thrilled hearing we'll Patrick Mahomes good. cry after we'll the game. Take, we will be happy to take the good. Right. No can't bad. go against us, though. No bad. That's not allowed. Well, and as you said, understand the frustration. Handled it very, very classy the week before. When he said, look, maybe the guy was a little early, but, you know, we got to be better. Obviously, frustration built with now they're eight and five. That's another bad loss. Uh, and they're in some trouble. For the first your time team, in a long you, time. You, your team is coming up hard on the outside. And I don't know what your schedule is. I, I know their schedule is pretty easy. So Kansas City should easily. If they take care of business, I mean, get to 11 and six at the very worst, probably 12 and five. They're at New England. When? They then host the Raiders. Let's see how many points they have now. 63 point Raiders right now in the fourth quarter against the Chargers. Jesus. Is it actually 63 to nothing? It's 63 to seven. 
The Chargers had a broken play for 70 plus yards on a pass. He's going to, he's probably going to get fired tonight, tomorrow. Should have been fired at halftime. Then they host the Bengals. Then they have to go play the Chargers in LA. So they should, they should presumably win those four games. So so maybe they lose one. Well, yeah, we'll give them one loss. So they're 11. Maybe they lose two. Maybe they lose two. Bengals? Bengals are pretty good. Backup quarterback's pretty good. He's figuring it out. Player of the week. He's he's a good-looking player. Good-looking player. And that's good. We know it's a good team. And he's doing a sign. He's doing a very good job. That offense has been very productive with him. They could go into Kansas City and win. I presume it's at Kansas City. Kansas City's playing every uh, – the usual deal for Kansas City, they played 14 games at home this year. Three on the road. They're at New England this week. Then they are hosting Raiders, Bengals. Then they have to go to the Chargers, but that's usually a home game for the away teams. All the shit. All the all, play either the team, the shittiest teams on the road, or the the, the the teams that don't even have a home field advantage. Play them on the road. Because yeah. we know there'll be more Kansas City fans at the Chargers. Yeah. They have hosted mm-hmm. the Dolphins and Eagles this year. To further your point, two of the better teams in the National Football League, and then they host and the, the Bills. and the Bills and the Bills. There's no question that he watched the replay after the game. Like, that's the first thing you do in the locker room. If somebody get it on your phone, let me see it. Once you see he's offsides, that's it. One of those former officials or somebody involved had said on social media that it was so egregious that they couldn't couldn't not call it. It was that bad. Like, that's not one where you stand on your hill and say, no, this is... And now, basically, you've got all of America rooting against you. Anyone outside of Missouri is rooting against the Kansas city chase. And then to me, the other biggest surprise, we, I, I don't think we were surprised by, you know, Dallas taking Philly out again, Philly's gassed. Their defense has yeah. got a lot of issues. Uh, Dallas is playing really well. To me, the biggest surprise of the weekend w- was clearly what happens to dolphins and the Titans was the, to me, the most shocking loss of the year. I, especially how the dolphins actually scored. Could, they were handed could, two could touchdowns. I not believe how they lost that game. Obviously, I'm rooting for the Titans you know, to knock off the Dolphins to break the tie with the Ravens. And the Titans are, are, are playing them tough. 14 points in a span of a minute. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then somehow, some way, Tennessee goes down the field, scores a touchdown, decides to go for two analytics. Hey, you analytics folks. Analytics say go for two early. Go for two the first time. Well, it finally worked. And the analytics say do it the first time, not later. So then you have the option. I say wait. I always say wait. They go for two. They convert. They get a quick three and out. Get the ball back and go right down the field and score again. <laughs> and then the Dolphins lose. It in the to me most unfathomable, inexcusable confounding loss of the season in the national football Tyree kill banged up in that one. Turns out he's pretty important to that Dolphins offense, huh? Indeed. Indeed. As he was to that Kansas city offense. Yeah. Be nice to have him. Wouldn't it? Instead, another game ends on fourth and a thousand incomplete. Quickly, your thoughts on two of the biggest major league baseball trades to happen simultaneously just about back-to-back Shohei Otani picked the Los Angeles Dodgers for $700 million over a 10-year span. Suck on that, A-Rod. Juan Soto traded to the Yankees 
for players. Nobody that casual fans are going to know. Look at the evil empire coming back to the table. Both of them. Both of them, right. Remembering who they were. Names on the back of their jerseys. Maybe we should get the best players again. Couple days, both did. What do you think? Well, we know we know the Dodgers have been saving for this, putting their you know couch cunning couch cushion money away, uh, staying under the tax, and pining for Otani, who obviously was uh, up the road a bit, playing for the Angels. And I said all along, Dodgers. Most people said Dodgers. Uh, then came. The suitors, the Cubs, the the Yankees, and the Mets were out of it. The Angels were still in it. All of a sudden, and on Friday, it was the, the Rangers Jays. were in it. It's going to here Toronto. Comes Toronto. What? Here comes Toronto. He's on the plane. What? The plane's leaving. Is it? There's a plane leaving, right? It, it, and, and it's leaving Southern California. It's leaving Anaheim. And lo and behold, it's tracked all day. And you know, there's a surprise party for Kakushi's. Kakushi rents out restaurant. Is renting out a restaurant. Uh, the left-hander from the Jays, you know, it must be a welcome party uh, for Otani. And lo and behold, J.P. Morosi reports uh, that he's on the plane and some dude from Dodger Nation or wherever on the internet reports that he's going to sign with Toronto. And then come the rest of the reports, Jim Bowden and others, Nightingale, etc. There is no deal imminent. They were correct. Morosi, unfortunately, for him was wrong. He was not on the plane. It was my favorite Shark Tank guy. <laughs> and just, just, to show you, just to show you how big sports is, right? everybody in, and their mother knows who Shohei Otani was, even though he's not from this country, and he's a Japanese baseball, you know, a baseball player born in, in, and raised in Japan. And now a superstar worldwide. Everybody knows who wasn't on the plane. And even though the other guy has probably got more money than Otani at this stage and is on TV all the time, nobody knows his name. Robert something was the guy on the plane. And I can't pronounce his name. And he's my favorite Shark Tank guy. That shows you how big Otani is and how big sports is. And I put my call of reputation on the line on the MLB network uh, on the morning show with Steve Phillips and the great Eduardo Perez. And I made a pledge uh, like our fearless leader who said he would retire if the Diamondbacks came back and won that series uh, against the Phillies. I promised that if Otani was not a Dodger, I would never call the show again. And uh, it was a little nerve wracking there for a day or so, but, uh, my son Justin screamed out to me when Otani made the post. Dodgers, seven hundred million. I'm like, how much? Seven hundred million. So I was shocked at the price because uh, I thought it would be somewhere around, you know, five and a half tops. We find out later, you know, it's seven hundred million. And after everybody's angry about it being deferred, uh, all but you know, six hundred and eighty million of it. You know, they're circumventing the, the competitive balance tax. You can't do that. The competitive balance tax prorates the money uh, and then puts in present value and interest and all computed and inflation. 
and against the competitive balance tax, it's $46 million a year. So uh, it's still a big hit against the CBT. And other teams can do this. Other teams have done this. And this offer was on the table from Otani to all of the teams. Anyone who she chose to go with had the option, including the Giants, who said the same offer was on the table and Otani and their agent gave them the same opportunity um, to defer the money. So this was not just a Dodger stroke of genius. This was Otani telling everybody in the mix, uh, if I sign with you, you can defer the money to be able to field a more competitive team. It's obvious he always wanted to be a Dodger, that that was the selection all along. Uh, the Giants said they were right there in the same at the same number. Um, but this is where basically we all thought he would go. This is where he is. Looks like they're going to trade for Tyler Glass now as well, who is a pitcher I was desperately hoping the Cardinals would trade for because obviously we know they need pitching with all the injuries uh, that they suffered last year and uh, are not going to have a bunch of those guys back this year. They have a very young staff. So they're going to trade one of them, Ryan Pepio, and an outfielder for Tyler Glass now, who's a wonderful pitcher, but injury prone, conditioned upon him signing an extension with the Dodgers. And then obviously the other, the big news is that your team uh, has acquired the best young hitter this side of Otani, and he's four or five years younger, in Major League Baseball, a, a guy who is perfect for you know, the 150-foot right field fence, the Little League field in Yankee Stadium, uh, a wonderful hitter, a great offensive player, and a perfect for the Yankees, Juan Soto, is a Yankee for young pitching, and he gives you what the Yankees desperately needed. An outfielder who hits left-handed to balance that lineup in the prime of his career and you know, ready to compete at the highest of levels. Remember, this guy's already won a World Series, and he did it four years ago as a baby. He is in the prime of his career. He only has one year remaining on his contract, which means Scott Boris will be looking at, since he turned down over 400, Scott Boris will clearly be requiring, demanding, expecting at least half a billion dollars from the Yankees, depending upon the length of the contract. Absolutely positively, which the Yankees will pay him. Uh, because like the Dodgers, they can defer it. Uh, they can do whatever is necessary. And I'm sure if they have to, they'll go over the tax uh, to keep them. But they'll probably do the creative scenario. And uh, I, I would be shocked if he doesn't remain a New York Yankee. I think he'll have a great year. I don't know how many games they'll win. But he is exactly what the doctor ordered to cure what ails the New York Yankees offense. He's, the per he's, he's a perfect fit anywhere. But in add to the fact that he's in a ballpark that was you know, the house that Ruth built. It was also built for Monsanto. <clears throat> a left-handed power hitter at Yankee Stadium. What a novel concept, Al. What a great idea to do that again. Wow. Look at the Yankees figuring it out. Who is our best left-handed power hitter of late? Last one was probably what, D.D. Gregorius? And then they just said, that's enough. Anthony Rizzo, we're trotting out lineups once he got hurt with zero lefties. What, 
are we doing? The only fear with Soto is, of course, there's the potential that he signs elsewhere after this season. But that's the risk that you absolutely had to take in this instance. Scott Boris has had players sign with the Yankees in the past, so that shouldn't be a fear either. It's just a matter if they'll reach into their pockets deep enough to make it happen. And I was jokingly saying maybe Hal Steinbrenner was visited by the Yankees ghost of Christmas past. Now that it's the holiday season, the ghost, which would be his father to say, Hey man, remember we're the Yankees. You got money to spend. Yes. <clears throat> Go out think, and do something, please. Think about this for a second. The options of where he would go in terms of what's required financially are going to be incredibly limited in terms of the competition. I mean, let's think about it. it he's not going to go to Boston. They're not going to pay anybody that kind of money. So what's that leave in your division? That leaves Toronto. Now, Toronto should be a huge competitor for his services for all the reasons. Regardless of what they do the rest of this offseason, whether they get Bellinger or not, they'll need another left-handed bat. Based upon everything we read and heard about their competition for Otani, they're the richest franchise because they're owned by Rogers Broadcast, which has more money than any individual owner. So they can compete with the Yankees for him financially. Who else does that leave? Basically, let's take the Dodgers out of the mix. I think we can take the Dodgers out of the mix. It basically leaves the Mets. Yeah. So the the Mets, the Yankees, and Toronto. Who else in the American League? Nobody in the Central is going to pay that kind of money. Is, are the Astros going to pay anybody that kind of money? Maybe. Maybe the Astros jump in, depending on what happens this year. But they've got free agents. Remember, Bregman's going to be a free agent. They're going to have to pay Tucker, Altuve. So... You know, they've got other things they have to be concerned with, which are major pieces to their team. Texas? I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, they're paying everybody else. But you would think the biggest competitors for his services would be in the division Toronto and the Mets. But there aren't a lot of teams you're going to have to compete with because the number is going to be so high. And you don't have to compete with the Yankees because that's where everybody is. So I'm not going to say it's a slam dunk he stays, but there's certainly a very small amount of teams that would be in competition for the Yankees with the Yankees for his services. Now, if things suck this year and they're mediocre, and they're a 500 team, and he gets, he gets hurt, or he has a great year and they suck, which I think would be very difficult to believe unless the pitching continues to be hurt and fall apart. Or Toronto wins the division and says, hey, look, we won without you. Imagine what we'll do with you. Right. That, that's really, to me, the biggest, I think, at a very early stage before a ball is even thrown, that, to me, would be the biggest competitor for his services. Some probably don't like it, understandably so, of smaller market teams and baseball being somewhat of a more regionalized sport. 
But part of me was not happy, but a little glimmer in the eye when two of the best baseball players in the world went to the Dodgers and went to the Yankees. It's going to be good for baseball. Of course it is. As much as it sucks for a lot of teams and a lot of fan bases. Of course. It's good it, for the it, game. It, it sucks for small markets, but, you know, small markets don't get you ratings. What gets you ratings? Lakers, Celtics. What gets you ratings? Yankees, Dodgers. You know, NFL, you don't have to worry about. <laughs> Still. It, 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 it's, it's, you know, the, 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 they're not playoff series. They're win or go home. So everybody's watching. And there's so few games, everybody's watching. But when it comes to, you know, football, when it comes to, or when it comes to baseball, it comes to basketball, powerhouses. You want the powerhouses to be good. They don't have to be in the World Series. Uh, you don't have to be in the finals, although you like them in the finals in the NBA. But you need them to be good. You need them to be competing for championships. You need them to be in the mix. You need to get eyes on the screen. You need to have a nation interested. You need to have national audiences want to watch because I'm either rooting for them or I'm rooting against them. Versus, I don't care. I have a rooting interest. You want people, you want a lot of people to have rooting interests because a lot of fans are just going to watch because they love baseball. But you want those diehards who hate watching if their team's not in it. Because there are a lot of Yankee fans who aren't going to watch if their team's in it. It's like, Yankee fans are like, fuck it. We're not in it. I'm not watching. You'll fuck everybody else. Well, that's a lot of people. Those Yankee fans are a lot of people. And same with the Dodgers. So, and, you know, same scenario, opposite, opposite deal. I hate the Yankees. I'm, I'm watching the route against them. I hate the Dodgers. I'm, I'm watching to root against them. You know, give them something to root for. Give them something to root against. And it has been a decently long time bef- since the hatred of, I can't believe that player is going to the Yankees. The Yankees got everybody, of course. It's been a long time. Garrett Cole was probably the last one you could say that about. And even that was like, that's going to make it sound hatred. like it's been that long. Well, who else? No, Garrett Cole signed a couple of years ago. It has been 10 years. Outside of him, it's not much. Guys they are bringing in, like Stanton, I guess. Although he hasn't panned out like they wanted. Well, there, there really haven't been a lot of massive free agent player signings. No. A lot of the guys, I mean, Freddie Freeman, okay, moved from you know, a championship team to the Dodgers. Um, absolutely. Mookie Betts got traded. Corey Seager was a, a good player, but not, he got a ton of money, but he wasn't considered, and he was a World Series MVP, but he had injuries. Right. Simeon, a, a good player, not considered a great player, and it's mostly pitchers, and you got the best one. And why, why did you get the best one? Because your guy pitches. You know, DeGrom doesn't pitch. Never pitches. Verlander just bouncing back and forth, you know, from team to team going back where he started. And, you know, Scherzer's, you know, hurt all the time. Right. Not all the time, but, you know, he's bouncing around. Um, but those are the older guys. In terms of the guys in their prime, who are really the big-time players 
that have signed big deals. It's been via trades, and yours is via trade too. Right. You know, you you didn't go out and sign this guy, and he's not making you know fifty. I mean, he's making 30, 30 million, which is a big nut. But you know, it's it's not some mega long term deal. It's going to be. But they're really who who's the big the big free agent guy? Who's the A Rod? Who's the bombs? You know, the biggest one is probably Corey Seager in terms of a player. And now he's great, and they won the World Series. But, you know, he had been hurt with the Dodgers, won a World Series with them and an MVP, but then had some injury-plagued seasons there. And he's a wonderful player. But you don't think of him in that, you know, super-duper, he's making super-duper money, and he was at an MVP year when he was on the field because he missed some games. And you, you want to put him in that class? No, that's fine. I have no problem with it. But it, it's not a guy who really moves the needle. Not real colorful, kind of bland, but he plays your premier position. And I, But to me, that that's really been the biggest, along with Freddie Freeman, who was kind of a low-key guy. Those have been the two big signings from a player, everyday player standpoint. Nice to have some excitement in Major League Baseball. Well, hopefully we'll have some more uh, now that the next one, obviously, is Yamamoto and and the New York teams are the two. You know, first I hear Mets, now I hear the Yankees, but it looks like they are uh, the main combatants. And he'll be deciding soon, uh, probably in the next few days. And once that happens, then I think we're going to start seeing the rest of the dominoes fall. Uh, A few other signings today, my old guy, uh, uh, Jack Flaherty, big Jack, former Cardinal, who was going to be the Cardinal Ace for years and subject to uh, suffering from a lot of injuries. And, uh, another disappointing season last year. Wound up with the Royals. He signed with the Tigers on a one-year pillow deal. Like we said earlier, it looks like last now is going to be a Dodger if they can agree to an extension. Uh, so there's one big trading chip, one big pitching chip, and another smaller one that are spoken for. But still others out there, uh, free agent-wise and you know trade potential. So... Still a lot more to go, uh, but the big boys are starting to come off. We don't record this show and wait for the Thursday night football game to end to end our show, but it just so happens that way this week. Final score in Las Vegas, 63-21. Scorigami, the 1,083rd time. We've had a score, Gami. Once you get into the 60s, you got a pretty good shot. You're going to get some score, Gami. Just another disaster of a Thursday night football game and another disaster storyline to add to the long list of bullet point disasters for this NFL season where the Las Vegas Raiders went from scoring three total points in their last football game to 63 points in this one to beat the Los Angeles Chargers. If you were to explain this season to a script writer to make sense of it. There's no way they could. And remember folks, just to reiterate my prediction earlier in the season, Jim Harbaugh will be the next coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm standing by it. Uh, you know, the, the question is who's going to coach the Los Angeles Chargers for the rest of the season. Yeah. Cause I can't believe he's going to be coaching these next. I can't uh, believe he made it out of the locker room for half. He went in Amazon actually got him to give an answer for an interview before he headed into the locker room. Typical, you know, we got to play for pride now, blah, blah, blah. And I'm at a stage now where I do feel sorry for the guy. 
because you don't want to, you, unless the, unless, you know, it, it's even hard to not feel bad for somebody you think is a, a, a total asshole. And don't get me wrong. I don't think Brandon Staley is a total douchebag, although he acts like that sometimes. I think he's an awful coach. You know, I think he's another one of these, you know, know-it-alls. And to add insult to injury, he is supposedly a defensive guru. And the worst part of their team these last few years has been their defense, yeah. which has been absolutely hideous. And that's tonight notwithstanding. And this is, you know, it's a tough way to go out. 63 points. Going from a 3 nothing loss to scoring 63 points in a four-day period for the LV Raiders. Preposterous. But that's how this year's been in the National Football League. And people still watch, Al. It's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. As I, as I said earlier in the season when you asked me that question, all we know is what we don't know. And the National Football League. Folks, my partner, the great John Tiny Lundamo, a.k.a. Alpha White Plains. Remember, Saturday football, Saturday NFL football coming up. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.